Welcome to the Salary to CEO podcast. My name is Jake Richards, and my goal is to help you make the leap from nine to five to small business ownership. I'm on that journey myself, and together, we're learning from experienced entrepreneurs and investors to uncover their secrets on how to launch, acquire, scale, and sell small and medium-sized businesses SMBs to generate life-changing wealth. We're witnessing the renaissance of boring businesses. Laundromats, waste management, plumbing businesses, they're all sexy again. But today's guest, Yongsu Chung, has taken a completely different route, a route that he calls the lifestyle business on steroids. Yongsu has turned his hobbies like pocket knives and even his French bulldog Humphrey into wildly successful businesses. No joke, he's a three-time founder who's already scaled past $6.5 million in annual revenue. And despite drawing $0 in salary, his genius credit card cashback strategy is making him $120,000 per year tax-free. Yongsu explains how you can make this all possible by building a personal holding company, as well as outlining his step-by-step maps framework that took him from broke and sleeping on an air mattress in his friend's lounge room to a life where work, fun, and wealth are all the same thing. So if the idea of transforming your life and building businesses around the hobbies you love excites you, then get ready because you're in for a treat. Let's get into the episode. Young Sue, welcome to the show. Cheers for joining me. I'm pumped for this one. How you doing? Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. I'm doing well. How are you? Very well. Three-time founder, top 2% podcaster, and correct me if I'm wrong, but someone who quit their job to sell pocket knives online. Is that the OG story? That is correct. Damn. Okay. And now entrepreneur that's building his personal holding companies $10 million a year in annual revenue. That is correct. Yeah. Nice, man. So First up, just run me through how you're tracking towards that. What's the latest update? And then we'll dive into a little bit of your past leading up to that. Yeah. So we did around six, six and a half million last year. We're getting close. Juicy. I know we're going to get there at some point. One of those things where if you try to force growth, it actually hurts you. It'll happen eventually, but it, I don't want to jeopardize short term to try to reach milestone, which honestly, it's just a number, right? So it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. That's exactly right. In fact, like one of my mentors actually said to me, like, close the book. And what he meant by that is, okay, you've set your thing, you've set your vision, you set your goal. You got to give it a little bit of space sometimes. Say you go and plant some seeds out the back. Yeah. You're not watering it, sanding over it, going, yes. why isn't it growing, stressing out? Like, because then you make dumb decisions. You've got to sort of like let nature take its course and give it a bit of space. And when he told me that, I'm like, man, I'm so guilty of that sometimes. That's such a good piece of advice. Just close the book. You've done all the necessary tasks that you need to do. Just keep doing it and give it a bit of space to breathe on its own. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with that statement. And same thing with audience growth, right? Audience building. You can't force these things. Otherwise, you're going to have low quality audience and and things like that. So you kind of have to just let it do its thing. 100%. Yeah, just like trust the process, keep doing the actions, all the standard stuff, but the simple stuff that's hard to do. Mm Mm-hmm. I read that eight years ago, you were completely broke and now you bootstrapped your company to $20 million in revenue. So before we get to the 20 million part, I really want to get to the eight years ago broke part and maybe where you were, what was going through your mind at that time. Just take me back like eight years to, yeah, your story from that point. I moved here from New York City. So I was was in finance before. Bad time in the economy. This is 2009, probably the worst time in in the economy since. I decided that I want to get more involved in tech and startups. And so actually, when I was in New York, I was trying to build iPhone apps and I was doing all these side hustles. And I always had this like entrepreneurial spirit in me. And so I knew that one day I was going to start a company. I just didn't know what it was going to be. But I tried meeting some engineers and, and tech people in New York. But I think I went to a, a meetup and it was like one person showed up and it was like, 
it was sad. So I wanted to surround myself with other, like essentially startup and tech people. And so I decided to buy a one-way ticket, quit my job. And then I came over from New York with just one suitcase. Were you solo at that point or were you with your partner that you're with now? No, I I was solo at that point. It would have been a little different story, probably. I'm just thinking through things with my wife right now. I was like, hey, one suitcase, let's go. Yeah. Job done. Okay, cool, man. Cool. Yeah, move to... San Francisco, I knew one high school friend and one college friend, and that was it. It's a very weird feeling when you go to a new city, you don't really know people, and you have to I moved start. to France, same thing. Yeah. So I started networking really hard, looking for apartments. So I was crashing with a friend at his apartment in Berkeley, which is outside of San Francisco. And that was pretty rough. I did that for three months. I was sleeping on the floor. as an air mattress. Damn. Yeah, it was a crazy time when I was just conserving as much money as possible. I was eating burritos, like ramen. How old are you at that point? 25, around there. So basically, I graduated from college and then moved to New York for two years to work there. And then I moved after that. Just quickly, like what were you doing in finance? I was a trader. Honestly, it was not a good industry to be in. Like my salary was pretty low. And because the financial sector was contracting because of the recession, the huge, great recession that we had in 2008, it was not a good time just generally for the economy, but finance sector was also shrinking significantly. The big takeaway that I got out of that story was that physical location is key and who you're surrounding yourself with is key. You kind of went out on a limb and just decided, okay, it's going to move too slow and there's not enough people on the same wavelength where I am. I need to get out of here and I need to get amongst it and meet these people. And what I'm curious, because this is something that even I'm doing now is I'm like trying to meet people that even to buy businesses or to partner with or whatever that might be, or just people on the same sort of path as me. Like yesterday, I messaged like 70 people that were just interested in buying businesses. And so I was just getting in contact with them to exchange notes, strategies, all these kind of things. What was that process like of meeting people? What did that actually translate to? You said you were networking really hard, but run me through what does networking really hard look like? Anyone who said, I'm down for coffee, let's meet up. Like I just hit up immediately. (laughs) And eventually that's how I grew my network in the city and eventually found my job. My first job here in SF in the startup scene, it was just through networking. But I think now the strategy is a little different where Twitter, obviously everyone's connected now. It's very easy. Yeah. I mean, like what you're doing, you're just DMing people and trying to get a conversation going, build a relationship. I'd say the, the challenge now is more of you don't know if people are genuine or not now. There's so many people just DMing whoever being like, hey, do you need this? Trying to sell the services. Now I think it's a little more of like, okay, how do I be more genuine? How do I give value first? It's that game totally. versus back in the day, I was just doing a lot of cold reach outs and, and just trying to meet with people. And I think people, if you did that back then, people did meet you because it was it was kind of rare. Just supply and demand, right? Now there's just so much more supply of people yeah, exactly. reaching out, being like, can I pick your brain? It's interesting though, like I'm looking for the patterns here. I'm looking at you again, like multiple times. It's almost like you've led with audience before you've gone with product, in this case, job or business yeah. or whatever that might be. At that time, that audience was just network and people like you and friends and people that you can work with. Now it's like a whole nother wavelength with podcast, Twitter, mm. all these different things, but always being relationship led. It's totally. So I actually have a, a framework that I go by, which is the MAPS framework, M-A-P-S. And so that's mindset, audience, product, and ceiling. And so you got to write, which is the audience comes before product. And obviously, product comes before you scale. And then mindset is the key thing to everything. And that's why I moved, bought my one-way ticket. I was ready to take that next step just mentally in my mind. And so 
without doing that, I wouldn't have found the opportunities and, and all that. So it's really, you got it right, which is you always start with mindset first and then it's like audience, right? Just curious, what is for you mindset or your goal mindset when you're approaching these different projects? That's a very good question. I, I'd say that, I mean, it's a constant thing. So it's not, oh, I've, I've achieved, I've, I've changed my mind now and I'm, I'm good, I'm enlightened. Like, no, it's, it, you're, we're all human here and we always revert back to, it's really about like fear and these emotional things that come up for us just because we're human, right? I mean, we've evolved and we don't need to be that fearful anymore, but a lot of times it'll hit you where you're like, okay, like this makes me really uncomfortable doing this, but like, can I reframe it in a way where it's uncomfortable, but does it have to be uncomfortable? Like, is it actually going to cause me, I don't know, harm or anything like that? And like just doing that. And then also like getting clear on what that path looks like. So let's say you have a goal, then you kind of map it out. So I do do some visualization stuff. What would it look like if I accomplished this? And so like, you really feel like you already accomplished it. And, and then I do this like on a time horizon scale. Each morning I, I like meditate and I, I visualize like 10 years from now, what am I doing? And the crazy thing about that, Jake, is like when I look back 10 years in my life, I would never have predicted where I am today 10 years ago. And so 10 years is a, such a time for a horizon where you're just like, you just got to shoot for the moon because it's just, it's so out there that it's possible. I mean, 10 years is a long time. So 10 year goal. And then you visualize it. You're like, all right, this is a crazy goal, but like, let's go closer and closer. And so like, what does five years look like? Okay. What is three years, one year? And then it's like, all right, what do I need to do today? And so like, when you do it that way, it's kind of like, I don't know, it just re-synchronizes your entire system to think in a way that aligns with your longer term values. And so for me, that's the mindset piece, which is, okay, you have this crazy goal, but then you reverse engineer how you get there to today, right? I did the same exercise when I moved from New York. I was like, do I see my future self in New York? I didn't. And so I'm like, all right, well, where should my future self be so that I could accomplish the goals that I want to accomplish? And that was in a city like San Francisco at the time. And so that's why I moved here. Totally. And one thing that I found, like it was definitely a weak spot of mine in the past was like not connecting to vision enough, like long-term vision. Historically, I haven't been that great at it. In the past three months, I've spent a lot of time getting really clear on what that looks like, like yourself meditating morning and night every day after meditation, hitting the visualization and really feeling that actualization as if it's there. And that becomes stronger and stronger like a muscle to the point where you're like, feeling intense emotions of what that might be. And what I've found is that in itself is a good override for when fear strikes, for when doubt strikes, for when discomfort and laziness or procrastination strikes. It's like, okay, what's that feeling? What's that vision? Okay, back into action. Here we go. Or like when you're on the edge and you're like, I don't really feel like it today. I've actually combined this other thing where it's like I've combined a physical trigger so like I stole this off Ed Milet, but he like clicks as he clicks, he pitches that vision of the future. And that physical trigger is very powerful to the point where when you're feeling those things, when you, and then you just start like clicking or whatever it is, something physical that evokes that chain reaction of the vision, the goal, and the, ultimately the feeling was helps you override that present moment, just crappiness that we all go through. I totally agree with that. That's a very clever mechanism when you, when you have something physical like that. And that's very similar to, I don't know if you know, um, the alter ego effect, but 
basically you put on something physically. Let's say you have glasses that you put on before you go on stage, for example. When you do that, you change mentally. You're like, all right, I'm this presenter now. Yeah. Like, I, you know what I mean? So like there's different ways of tricking your mind. But the whole the entire concept is that your mind is so powerful that it's really like anything is possible. You just have to, you know, it's, it's just all about like how big is your dream? Because you can achieve it if you really wanted to. A lot of people, I feel like it's, they're working on two small opportunities. So a lot of creators actually, in my opinion, are trying to solve something really small. They're like, I'm going to be a solopreneur. I'm, I'm going to have a like a newsletter thing. And like, that's great. But like for me, I'm, I look at things beyond that. And I don't want to be someone just have a thing where I'm getting paid to write email, copywriting email for someone else. Like I'm, I'm way bigger. Because my vision is way bigger. And so like, what's funny is when you think big, the actions that you want to do today, you'll realize that like you can take bigger steps and it's just as hard to go from where you are now for that bigger step than it is to go from where you are now for a smaller step. Like it's just as hard because you're taking a bigger step. You're actually going to be way ahead a year, two years, five years down from now versus like if you take a smaller step, yeah, you're going to be there probably in two, five, two, three years, whatever. But like that step is so small that it doesn't doesn't make sense. I mean, if, if that's what you want, then great. A hundred percent, like building on that. And this is coming from someone that has been guilty of that, right? Trying to build something small and like progressively leverage it up. And what became painfully clear is it's just like building anything is hard. Yes. You, even if you just want a newsletter and you just want to build an audience, that is a ton of effort and mm -hmm. hours and mastering the craft. And it became really clear that no matter what I'm going to do, and even maybe just the fact of being human, it's hard. It requires effort to go beyond any sort of level of mediocrity. I'm curious as you're going through that, because we're on this topic of mindset, having succeeded in what you've done so far and you're still building, do you have doubt? Do you have, man, I'm shit, or I don't know if this is a fluke, or I don't know if I'm wasting my time. Do you have these kind of doubts? If so, how often? All the time. I still have to do these mindset exercises. What you realize is that people who are successful, they're not any different than me or you. They're just, their problems are just bigger. And so they're having the same problems, whether it's, I don't know, relationship problems with their spouse or whatever, or they financial problems. Let's say they over leverage on a house or whatever it is, like the impact is just bigger. You know, I have it all the time where I'm like, my business is not growing as quickly as I want. Yeah, you have self-doubt. You're like, what am I doing here? Like, should I be doing something else? Really, it's that place of fear again, where you kind of have to think deep and say, is this the life you really want to live? If you go to a, a, a job, let's say you work at a nine to five again, does that align with your vision in, in, in 10 years? And if it doesn't, then then there's probably other ways of solving whatever issue that's happening. And so it's really about like creative problem solving. And so you kind of have to think a little bit outside the box and figure out why you feel that way and then change it. But like a lot of times it's just internal. And so if you let that feeling go, then it's usually okay. Dude, 100%. And the one book that I've been re-engaging with recently, which I've read in the past, it's just so good for this. It's just the obstacle is the way by Ryan oh, Holiday. Yeah. Yep. In terms of reframing and thinking things from a different perspective, and it's all the classic stoic lessons that we all know, but when you see it in front of you put together really well, it's just like, oh yeah, th this is actually <laughs> the opportunity. This is actually what I need right now. I always think about it like the things that you think are the problems are actually the qualifiers for the person that you say that you want to become. You think, oh, this is so shit. This is in my way. But actually you said you wanted to be XYZ person and XYZ person has to kind of like graduate this, build that skill set through this challenge. 
And so you asked for this in a way, embrace it and get creative, kind of what you're saying. I could just talk on mindset and visualization and everything, but I really (laughs) want to dive into the business. I feel like we've got like a nice segue into where you came from New York, went all out and all in, moved, packed with one bag, 25 years old in San Fran, got your first job. But then at some point, even that wasn't enough, that startup, and you started doing something different altogether in the e-com space. So I'm curious to like jump into that section of your life now and your career. Yeah. So I was at a uh, cryptocurrency startup, which did really well. But you know what? It came to a point when I left. So this is in 2015 when I left that company. It was hitting up against regulations. Obviously, crypto regulation is still unclear in the US. But at that time, it was like crypto was just starting to boom. People were trying to figure out, okay, what is it and all that. And essentially, like we were blocked on development. And so our team was like really rolling. It was like we were doing really well. But then we literally were just told to stop doing things because I'm always someone that needs to move forward. I don't know what it is about me, but I just need to see progress. And when I don't, I get really antsy. So when that happened, I was like, all right, it's time for me to leave. This is around September 2015 is when I left and and launched the pocket knife business using Shopify. That was a decision that I think a lot of my colleagues probably thought I was like pretty crazy because if you think about it, like <laughs> blockchain technology and crypto, like this is 2014, 2015. And I was a software engineer, so really high in demand. And then obviously you loved that when you got that job, you found that right fit. But at some point you're like, man, I want to sell pocket knives. Yes. And we've chatted before. And like when we spoke previously, you gave me some advice for searching for the next business, which was around like kind of taking stock of your previous skill set and experiences and build upon that. What was the correlation? Like what was going through your mind when you go like, oh yeah, I'm going to sell pocket knives. Where's the connection there? Why that path? I was at Ripple and there was a couple of different ways that I could go about with my next steps. One was stay in the blockchain world, probably had to raise VC money, probably have to build out an engineering team, compliance, everything. That would have been a completely different path that I would be taking. The second path would be start something really small, something that I have full autonomy, full control over. And I just thought that Shopify with the no-code tool, Shopify hadn't taken off at this point. It was still relatively a new new platform. And I thought that it was like a good opportunity. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this. And worst case scenario, I can always just go back into engineering. I'm in San Francisco. So I wanted to bet on myself and my execution abilities. I don't know. I just didn't want to have dependencies. Like I didn't want to be like, oh, I got to raise another round of VC money. Oh, I got to hire. I don't know. It just felt like those variables were for me at the time. I wanted to have less variables and more just on me and my ability to execute. And so I wanted to keep it really small and lean. Oh, and then the everyday carry thing was just something that I was interested in. And so like I'll be buying these titanium pens or flashlights like regularly. And it all fell into this category of everyday carry gear. And I was like, all right, I'm interested in this stuff. Maybe I can build a business out of it. That was kind of the genesis of of why I started the e-commerce shop was like one, which is like micro factors, the micro factor being like I'm interested in it. And also like I know enough about the gear to be able to talk about it. And the second thing is macro factors, which is I, I did see this trend of people taking e-commerce from Amazon. So a lot of Amazon FBA, fulfilled by Amazon stuff was happening at the time, but it was moving over to Shopify and people were building their own brands on Shopify. I was like, okay, this is going to start happening like way bigger. And so I could just start on Shopify now and just grow this thing and just ride this wave. And so the macro trend was 
this e-commerce DDC. DDC was not even a, a term back then when I started, but obviously not like a huge and all that stuff. Micro factors is like internal. What are you interested in? What are you good at? Like this kind of th- thing. But then macro factors is like, what trend can you ride off of that will, that you can, I don't know, kind of cruise for a bit with it. And then hopefully that'll, you'll get your piece of the, the, the pie, so, so to speak, in terms of the growth of whatever market you're in. And so when you combine those two together, I think it, it's a kind of a, a good recipe for, for success. Dude, I love interviewing you because like at the end of your story, you pull it all together with a lesson and I'm just sitting there going like, okay, he just did my job for me. And he's just explained to the audience exactly what that is slash me as well. Uh, I'm your... a podcaster. I- I'm used yeah. to bringing <laughs> things together like that. Yeah. Did I understand correctly that you left your job at Ripple before you even put anything together in that space, like before you launched, or is that not the case? So I was building my audience towards the tail end of when I was at Ripple. So And specifically around you, personal brand? No, it's a company page. Okay, company page. Okay, cool. So started to build the audience. And what's funny is back then, being a cool brand was a thing. We were like really nimble and trying to, you know, be cool and all that stuff. And that took us pretty far. But now I think the tides are shifting now where the audience consumers are no longer trusting because there's so many DTC brands and all that stuff. So like now the emphasis on personal. Generally, there's more trust with personal brands. And so that has shifted. And so if I started Urban EDC today, I think that I would probably be more of uh, a personal brand first and then combine that with the business thing. Or you would find a bunch of people with personal brands and leverage their brand and get them on like brand deals rather than all relying on you. But yeah, we've done that. So we've actually been working with other content creators in the everyday carry niche now. And so we have a pretty robust group of people that we work with to amplify our reach. And so we are already doing that. You're exactly right. Yeah. I want to dive into something now, which is like, when I watch you from a distance, it feels like you've mastered this kind of like, this sounds, I don't know, a bit overused this word, but like synergies in your life, not in terms of business synergies with a merger and acquisition, but you just seem to have this like perfectly designed, perfect harmony. You've got your business, which is built around your dog and you've got your <laughs> podcast, which is connecting you with more people and you've got your credit cards paying for your life through like bonus things. It feels like this ecosystem of just like harmony. Was this always the case? Did you stumble your way through this through like test and learn and iteration? How did you get to this point where everything feels so intentional and perfect? in your ecosystem. So I, I, I appreciate you saying that, Jake, but uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's perfect. Far from it. I am just curious about optimizing every aspect of my life. And so basically, you know, this is a game of resources. And so time, money, all that stuff. And so I, I look at what I have and try to squeeze whatever I can out of each thing. I have high credit card expenses and I'm able to put them on credit cards and then I get the cash back, like all that stuff. It was not intentional. I mean, I guess it's intentional in that I didn't choose like airline miles, for example, to get the credit card stuff. And so I just thought that it's okay, credit card cash back and it's just a supplemental income. But then that just started growing and growing as the business expenses grew and the business grew. And so now it's like a significant chunk. And I guess it's kind of like, Okay, well, I'm just going to continue doing this because it's it's working. The one comment that I would say to that is 
not only do you squeeze everything out, but it feels like if one area is benefited in a certain way, progress in that area is positively impacting your other areas because there's a connection between them through different parts of your life. And so I think that leads really nicely into your personal hold code, which kind of like underpins all of this. And you said it's almost like a lifestyle business on steroids. Quite frankly, like I've got a lot to learn in this space about what that entails. So could we just start at like a high level of what that is and perhaps how you apply it? Yeah. So, you know, what's funny is when I started these businesses, I'm going against the grain of everything here, because if you think about it, I'm in San Francisco, the startup capital of probably the world. People are raising VC money. They're hiring a ton of people and they are focusing on one company at a time. They literally work 100 hours, maybe even more a week to sacrifice their own life for five, 10 years to get a crazy exit. That is the culture here in San Francisco. But I'm going against the grain, which is I started like an e-commerce site using no-code tools. I didn't have a big team. I was a solopreneur for a long time, just doing my thing, e-commerce business. And, you know, it just grew that way. And I guess the way that I look at it is I'm opportunistic about things that are coming to me. And so when I have a a, a hobby, for example, we brought home a, a, a French bulldog. This is in 2017. And we were not planning on growing his audience, right? But now we've got a hundred and what is it? Like 50,000 followers across socials for him. And it was just one of those things that kind of happened. And so I'm just thinking like, all right, we have this asset now. I, I feel bad calling Humphrey, my French bulldog, an asset. But yeah, we have we have Humphrey and he has this big audience now. Like, how do we capitalize on this? The logical thing was here. First of all, I have an e-commerce shop already. All we got to do is spin up another Shopify site and essentially just do the same thing. Backend's going to be all the same. Shipping fulfillment, that's all the same. The website's just different. That's it. The audiences are different. But like, it's all the same in the backend. And so that happened very naturally. And when like our, our French bulldog went viral, like we just thought, how do we take advantage of this? So that was the next step. And then uh, we had a lot of people asking us about fulfillment because it was a pain point. E-commerce fulfillment is a huge pain point for a lot of store owners. And so when people are coming to us being like, can you help us fulfill? Because it's such a pain for us. It's just a natural progression. GrowthJet, which is our 3PL, it just launched out of just people asking us. So we we didn't even have a website. We didn't even have a name for the company, but we were just helping people out and they were paying us. And so we had a business before we even knew really what we were going to do with it. So yeah, that's how Growth Check came about. I guess the first business, Urban EDC, was a little bit more like intentional. Like, oh, I want to get into this because it's my hobby. Like, I love this gear. Second and third one was a little more opportunistic, but I still love, obviously, I love my dog and just everything dog-related stuff. So it's like based on hobbies. But then I would say the the third one, Growth Jet, it's not like I'm passionate about shipping and fulfillment, but it was a, a need that we had. And another thing is, it was a cost center in our business, right? Because we're shipping a lot of stuff. We have labor costs. And so we turned that cost center into a profit center. And so the lesson here is that, you know, I've got all these three things going on. And I, I guess it's more about like, how do those three businesses fit into my life as a, I guess, personal holding company owner? And so if you think about it, like the shipping business, there's a lot of shipping labels that go through that flows through us and that's going to be credit cards, right? So we talked about the credit card cash back thing. The dog business is really convenient because now we have all this, we have an excuse to go and travel and take photos in these beautiful areas. We live in California. And so we can go to all these like amazing places, 
bring some of the dog clothes and then just take photos there and use it as marketing. And now we have a, a business trip. We can say we went to this event to take photos. And like we get invited to a lot of events too. Like we're going up to Sonoma at a, a five-star hotel and that's being paid for by the hotel because we provide content for them. And so like a lot of these crazy opportunities came about because we had an audience for our dog. Yeah. And it's just a really fun thing that my wife and I do, and we enjoy it a lot. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of grew out of, I don't know, hobbies, but also just needs and necessities. And then if you look at the the, the three companies as a whole, it just functions really nicely because it, it, you know, it provides different opportunities, right? And so like for your listeners, like let's say you love traveling to, I don't know, Florida, let's say, I don't know, you could get, I don't know, like a rental in Florida. You can buy a property and have a rental there. And now each time you visit Florida, you can visit your rental and you can write that off yeah. as a business expense every time you visit. And so a smart move is when you have, you can have rental places in places you want to visit often. Like if you go to Hawaii a lot, just like manage a rental in Hawaii and then you can visit and it's all yeah. tax deductible. Yeah. So the personal holco is the vehicle that makes that kind of possible in a lot of ways because you can manage manage it all pretty succinctly, your different business ventures that you've got going on? Yeah, I think it's the whole idea is that you want to have businesses in different aspects of your life that you enjoy. And so it's less about profit all costs, right? You're not managing a crazy startup trying to make it into a billion dollar unicorn. You're more about, okay, I'm passionate about this thing. How do I turn this thing into a business? Mm. And then once you do that, then this is why I say it's lifestyle business on steroids, because now with all the tools out there, no code tools, AI, you can also find uh, cheaper labor now with offshore hiring. It, it's so much easier to run multiple things at a time in your area of interest. So like I have all of our doc stuff, it's a business expense. Everything that's like around your hobbies, like you can make business out of them and then now you can do like multiple things at the same time and they're all like business expenses essentially right the one thing that i wanted to loop back on because you just said it like so nonchalantly yeah you know 150,000 followers just yeah. happened for your dog there's like a million crappy french bulldog instagram pages out there that haven't just you know spontaneously developed 150,000 followers i'm imagining that you're putting some sort of effort or you've built a skill set there through various different things to know what actually brings that sort of result. So what was it that you were doing? What were you studying? What were you implementing? What does that look like? And what was the path that got you there? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I would say here. The first thing is honestly, like audience building is really, I mean, you got to have the right content. And for us, for the dog account is our dog is, I mean, it, it, they're really fun, like hilarious. It's also not about what they do. It's about how you position them to do. So like you, your, the captions that you put on the videos, like if you do the timing, like a, a good timing of it, like, I don't know, it's just like content creation, right? But were you studying like other, other, you know, were you going through and going like, okay, what's kind of working out there? Let's build some hypothesis. Let's test that, double down on things that'll work. Is that kind of the process that you followed or? Yeah, just like anything else. You test it out, see if it works. It doesn't work. Okay, try something else. Oh, if it did work, then keep doing that until it's probably going to stop working at some point because everyone's going to copy it and, and all that. That. And so you have to do something else. It's, it's always testing, right? And so the second thing I was going to say is like, this is during the time when Instagram was transitioning to videos. And I know that sounds like a lifetime ago, but basically there was not a lot of supply of video and Instagram was really pushing it. 
And so like we had a lot of videos that went viral really quickly and easily. It's not as easy now. There's a lot more content creators out there just posting videos, but we rode that trend. And so we talked about micro and macro factors earlier. So this is a macro factor on a platform level where we knew that Instagram was pushing videos. And so like, if that's the case, then like, okay, we're going to push videos. We're just going to keep pumping out these videos. And like a lot of them will just, just get a lot of views and get a lot of followers. And so like, we just rode that wave. That's another thing is like, be mindful of like whatever platform you choose. Like you can ride a wave if you can discover something early on and, and just really build an audience quickly that way. One thing that I'm noticing throughout this conversation is like these macro factors that you, that you were talking about. And it seems like you multiple times have been positioned at the start of an explosion of a large macro wave, which is just giving you a massive competitive advantage and capitalizing at that first mover kind of advantage. So you obviously must be being very vigilant and aware of what's going on around you. Are you searching for these? Or it's just like, again, interest led. And it's like, oh, within these interests, here is the biggest opportunity that I'm now seeing. I'm not out there like looking for these big trends. I mean, I mean, there's some trends that I know are obviously, and then people probably know like AI, for example. Mm. But aside from these mega trends, I'm not going out there and looking for these things. I think what's happening here is that like, we got our French bulldog and like he started gaining traction and we're like, okay, so why did this Let's say it's a photo. Like, why did this photo do well? Okay, maybe we just post a video next time we post a video. Oh my God, the video is doing really well. Post another video. Oh, it's doing well. And then we kind of study it like, okay, what's going on here? Like, oh, it turns out Instagram is pushing videos because they want more people to post videos now. And so we just catch on to these things. And so one idea, concept that I heard is that um, successful people have a very high return on luck. And so when you find these trends, you capitalize on them and then you just ride the wave as, as best as you can. For us, when we get that opportunity and we're like, this is a short term period opportunity, like we are going to just squeeze it out, like just really, really get the highest ROI on this thing until it stops. And, and so that's like the way I look at it. There's opportunities everywhere. I'll give you another example, like for the 3PL growth jet, we were at a dance studio actually, uh, as one of our uh, earlier offices, but we had to, we got pushed out by Amazon. So ironically, our third party logistics company got pushed out by Amazon during the, the lockdown. So March, 2020 was the last month where we had to go and, and leave and find another place. Typically like, you know, you freak out and be like, oh my God, what do I do? I have a month to leave. But then ultimately we locked in a really low rate because people, it was so uncertain, the economy. And so we got a crazy deal on our warehouse. I think it's more about like change and opportunity is all around us. You just have to like reframe it. Like instead of me being like, oh my God, business is going to shrivel up now with coat, like whatever the, the virus, like instead of thinking about it that way, no, like what an amazing opportunity. Like, honestly, like it would have been a great time to buy businesses at the beginning of the lockdown, for example, right? And so instead of thinking about it, like, oh my God, like maybe I need to shut down my business. No, like what other opportunities out there? And then maybe I can buy these on the pennies and the dollar and just like grow this thing. And so like opportunities everywhere, you just have to find it and, and, and just reframe it and look at it in a different angle that most people don't look at it from. The key is like, most people, 99% of people will look at it from like one side, but then the 1% who was like, actually, this is a really good thing. Like then you just jump in and you like capitalize on that. Totally. And what I got from that as well earlier on, when you're talking about content, it was more like make noise and then listen for the signal and then double down on the signal. Yes. It's just like 
do a bunch of stuff. And when it starts to catch on, just run with it. That seems to be like the main thing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And obviously that's, it's not going to be like that forever. Nothing goes on forever. Yeah. But you just write it out as, as long as you can and then adjust. Yeah. Totally, man. There's two things that I really want to like close out with. You're running these three businesses with the first business, for example, you're professionalizing a little bit more. You've got KPIs, you've got what seems to be a management team, you've got people running it. So there's really what you've built is like leverage around your labor there. And I think I might've read that you spend, you know, maybe less than five hours a week and generating XYZ millions each year. I want to dig in just a little bit about how you actually structure that team and how you actually build out beyond yourself because you spoke earlier about aiming for something more than just a solopreneur doing newsletters for example which there's nothing wrong with it that's what someone wants to do but for you particularly you've realized that okay if i add leverage and i design my life how i want to be spending my time and working on whatever it is that i want that seems to be the recipe for success so how have you gone and what practices have you adopted to go from individual solo e-commerce guy to now running teams and doing more than what you can yeah. do just by yourself. So I think that um, there's a misconception for solopreneurs. You can't run the business yourself forever, in my opinion, unless you want to just keep it small because there will you will run into a wall. Like you can't grow beyond a certain point. But honestly, if, if that's what you want, then that's fine. That's great. But you'll realize that if you build a, a team, there's like people that are way better than me at certain things. And like, if you think about it, like you can scale much faster by hiring the right people for the right roles and you just letting them do their thing. All you got to do is make sure that they're not blocked. And so in a way, it's like the job as a CEO or at some point is to find the best talent and you become a, a resource allocator rather than the operator. And so I think that shift really change the way that I thought about it, which is like, my job is not to do the work itself. My job is to find the best person, the best system to get this job done. And so like, when I think about it that way, it just makes all the sense in the world that I, you know, I, I can't do this myself. I just got to find the right system to people to do it. Yeah. Let's, let's hold that thought for a second. System. Are you running something that you've just amalgamated from multiple different sources? Are you running like traction EOS? Cause seems to be pretty popular amongst entrepreneurs these days. You've got the people. What's the, what's the system underpinning it? I don't follow any specific like system that's, that just different that you've about. picked up along the way and you've kind of like custom built your own thing that works for you. So I guess one thing is that I have a PNL for each, each business. And so I, I do track that. Obviously, metrics and dashboards are really important when you're when you have multiple things going on. And just generally the right people like I, I, I sync up with people, the leaders of my company, like often, and I want to make sure that they're good. They have what they need. And if anything comes up, then I am there for them. If they if something happens, then, then I'm available. And so it's not like I'm just totally like off vacationing somewhere and I'm like offline. Like I'm actually pretty busy, but I'm busy with the right things. I'm not busy just doing all the work. Like even for my newsletter and podcast, right? Jake, like I have an executive assistant and a podcast producer. Literally like the things that I'm not good at, it's like outsourced and like outsourced in a good way where like all I do is write down a bunch of bullet points. I give it to my podcast producer and he creates a script for it. That's a way better storytelling than I would ever be able to write. And then with that, like my executive assistant helps me write the newsletter with and the show notes, like everything. And then the content that it's so basically like I kind of engineered the system where I work on things that only I can do, 
which is like create the content. Like I have to get ideas out of my brain into onto a piece of paper. But then once that's happened, then the team just goes and does whatever they want with it. And then, you know, ultimately, like that's kind of how I, I've been able to scale the processes, just very specific, robust systems that I guess I work on my strengths because I know that I, it's stuff that I have to do myself. But then everything else, I let the team do it. The last thing is just like you mentioned it previously and we dove into mindset, but I think the MAPS framework is such a succinct way to bring this all together because it's almost like in a lot of ways, your kind of personal philosophy. So yeah. let's just run through that and maybe brainstorm. It could be interesting whether you want to just run through that high level top to bottom, or maybe if you even want to think about how someone might want to apply these tools and get started. Maybe they're just like, they're the version of you who was working at Ripple and they're like, okay, I want to do something yeah. a little bit different. How would we start to apply maps to take us to that 10 year vision that you were kind of speaking about before? So I think the important thing to start with is like, know that this is a very long term journey. Like I know that I'm, I'm in this for the, probably the rest of my life. Like I'm not retiring. Retirement to me is really boring. And, and that's another philosophy, a personal co philosophy, which is that you don't retire because theoretically you're working on something that you enjoy because you're building businesses around your hobbies. Basically you're already retired, right? If you do this right, you should feel like you're already retired. And so I, I would say definitely like, I, the most important thing is, is self-awareness and, and saying like, okay, what am I good at? And like, what am I interested in? And so getting clear on, on those two things will go a long way. And I think that will kind of give you a foundation of like where you can possibly start. And then I, I think I, I would layer on top of that, like, you know, maybe a macro force that you see coming, like a macro trend that's happening. I don't know. Let's say as an example, you're really into, into wine and you're good at it. Like you've studied it and like, you know, you're, let's say a sommelier, like, you know, this AI thing is going to happen. Like, how do you come combine AI with wine, like that kind of combination of like a macro trend that's happening with some kind of outdated antiquated industry like wine, like how do you combine those, you know? And so it's a really interesting thing, exercise where you combine something that you know you're good at and you're, you're really passionate about with a layer of a macro trend that you know is going to be happening. And so when you think about it that way, yeah, I feel like that's a really good place to start. So yeah, mindset is kind of like you're in this for the long haul. And you're going to essentially dedicate, okay. So the way I thought about it when I started Airbnb was like, a brand takes five to 10 years to build. You can't build, you basically can't give up before year five when you're building a company. That's just the way it works. And so if you don't have the patience and you're gonna give up after one year, like it, it's not, you're not gonna make it. Hence why I've heard Homozi talk about this as well. Hence why it's so important that whatever it is that you're dedicating yourself, that you can see yourself being committed, that you actually like it and can stay committed to it. Because if you're doing right. something for a means to an end, if that means is five, 10 years, like you're speaking about, man, that's a lot. That's very taxing on you as an individual and your kind of like internal state, let's call it. Totally. So hence why that alignment of what you actually like is so crucial. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so the mindset's honestly the most important piece, in my opinion, but no one really talks about it, which is funny, but it's a mindset. And then you have audience. And so audience is essentially you're going to go to where your potential customers are hanging out. And so you just want to like listen in and see what people are talking about. And let's go with this, this wine example. Let's say you're building a business and your target audience are like, I don't know, let's say you're building a tool for other wineries right and so you want to go maybe the forums of where all these wineries are like 
congregated or they like talk about or maybe they're just like more like meetups like whatever it is go to where people are are talking because that's really important like because you want to listen in being like all right what are the signals like what are people saying like what problems are they are they having and so what i like to say also is like as we move into P, which is product, essentially you can build a product, but you don't have to be married to that specific product. So you're, you're essentially testing and, and experimenting. And what I would say is like stick within your community that you're like part of now or this audience building thing, because you're going to hone in on a problem that is like a, a problem worth solving. But you won't get to that stage unless you're in that community long enough to hear what the problems are. And like, you kind of have to get a feel for like what the community needs. And that takes some time. Even if you build a product that you think is a problem for your community and you build it and like no one wants it, that's okay. You can drop that product, build another product, but you want to stay in that community because the longer you're in this community, the more you're going to learn about them, the better you're going to get to know them. And then once you have a product, and it's working. A product market fit obviously is what everyone wants, but it's elusive. You'll feel it. You'll know when you have it. You'll just get pulled into it. People want more and more of it. And so when that happens, then with the S part, which is scaling, this is where you want to use leverage. And so the leverage that I'm talking about is it's no-code tools. So software, it's um, you know AI, things like that. It's the uh, social media. So like digital leverage, right? So the first two parts of leverage, digital leverage is as uh, social platforms, essentially media, and then no code tools. And then the next two parts uh, of leverage, which are um, analog types of leverage is, is capital and labor. And so at certain point, you're still going to run up against a, a wall, even if you use AI tools and all that stuff. And that's when you want to start hiring, but you can, you can start hiring like just virtual assistants from, from abroad and they don't have to be like that capital intensive. So basically you've got the digital leverage first and then you have analog leverage. And so, yeah, that's kind of the, the maps framework in a nutshell. That's really good, man. And it, it's interesting because I've never really thought about it in terms of audience leading into a, which I probably should. For me so far, audience building has just been about more like documentation of journey because I guess I'm focusing maybe more personal brand and where I see myself at my stage is kind of going to like that Russell Brunson style, like attractive character. There's kind of like four attractive characters. One is like, you know, the leader. One is like the reluctant hero. These are like kind of like the experts. I'm definitely more on like, okay, I'm the adventurer slash reporter talking to other people. And so therefore it's more of a documentation process and what I learned yesterday, as opposed to positioning as some sort of expert, because quite frankly, that's not me at this moment in time. I'm kind of building towards that. So it's a very long-term approach to what I'm building there. But I like those bits about specifically when we're talking about maybe business ideas that we want to be involved in, it's really critical to build that audience for that as well, not just your personal stuff. I think the better approach is audience first before product. I guess you could go product then audience, but in my opinion, that's actually a lot harder. Yeah, man. Look, today's been a masterclass and so many things. I mean, it's very clear through this conversation, diving into these different elements of your mindset, your business, your story up until this point why you are where you are and why you are going to achieve where you are setting your sights on. Hats off to you, man. It's been an awesome chat. And I'm just thankful that we got the chance to spend the time together. My last bit is just, where can people find you? Yeah, so my podcast is at First Class Founders. And so you can search it on Spotify, Apple, wherever, or you can just go to firstclassfounders.com. I'm also pretty active on X slash Twitter. I'm at Yong Su Chung. That's Y-O-N-G. S-O-O-C-H-U-N-G. 
you can message me there. I check my DMs. All right, man. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks again. And uh, we'll be chatting sometime soon, no doubt. All right, Jake. Thanks, man. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, awesome chat. Catch you soon, man. Bye. Man, what an eye-opening conversation that was with Yong Su Chung. As someone who is strategizing their next business move, the simple micro-macro model for choosing your ideal business is something that I'll be personally implementing. Starting with what you like and what you're good at, and then marrying that to the highest potential external trends to hit that growth sweet spot. Man, I love just simple, actionable wisdom like that. The kind that when you hear it, you inherently just kind of know, like, yeah, that makes sense. This is definitely one of those. Any individual who's looking to launch their next business can take this and start executing straight away. So guys, thank you for spending this time together today. In all seriousness, I love putting these episodes together for you. If you know someone who'd benefit from Young Su's advice, maybe they've just caught the entrepreneurial itch and want to make the leap into small business ownership. Maybe they've already dove in and are looking to level up. Whatever it might be, if you think they can get any value from this, please pull out your phone right now jump into your podcast listening app, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts, hit share and send it to them right now. It'll only take you 10 seconds of your time, but it could change their life and you'll be helping me out too. So again, thank you so much. I look forward to catching you on the next episode. Until then, get after it.